Greetings, my peeps, and welcome to the All Things Basketball Podcast with your boy GD. In this episode, I'll be doing my Nick midseason grades, guys. I'll give you all the grades for the players there. Also, NBA midseason awards. I'll be doing my awards section there, so we'll talk about those players and coaches and so forth. And then also, incident and at Ohio State with the star player in women's basketball, Caitlin Clark. I'll talk about that as well. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, guys. Okay, guys, it's your boy GD back with the All Things Basketball with GD podcast. And I wanted to do... Nick's midseason report along with that giving out my grades and so forth so I'm gonna do that well I did want to cover midseason awards we're at the midway point of the season so I'll give you all the candidates that I see and then after that one other news item as of basketball importance I would think we'll just cover those three for today Of course, eventually I will have my week 13 review. But in this episode, we'll do Nick's midseason report cards. We'll do midseason awards throughout the NBA and then the other news items. So let's get right into it, shall we? The New York Knicks. At this point, they have played about more than half of their games. And... They look pretty good, guys. So I want to give out my grades, and I'll do so. I'll start with the bench first, and then I'll do the starters. Now, just to let you know in advance, I will not be giving a grade to OG Ananobi because he just got here. So I won't be grading him. I won't be grading any of the guys who came with him, Precious Achua, also Malachi Flynn, I won't be grading Jericho Sims because, remember, he missed a lot of time, so really couldn't get a feel for kind of how his season is going. So I won't be grading him. Guys at the end of the bench, I won't be bothering with. Basically, it'll be eight players, guys, eight players that I'll be covering. So let us get right into it. I will start with Miles McBride, otherwise known as Deuce McBride. Our backup point guard, 6-2. So for Deuce, he's scoring over four points a game along with about assists per game. Right now, well, you're going to see those numbers climb, guys, with the absence of Emmanuel quickly. So he's immediately slotted in as the next guy up behind Jalen Brunson. So he's shooting from the field over 45%, about 45 and a half. from three and 80% from the free throw line. So Deuce McBride making the most of his opportunities now that Emmanuel quickly has now gone to Toronto. And he's had some pretty good games so far, guys. So it seems as if he's getting comfortable being that next guy up. All in all, I will give him a C plus because before the trade, he didn't really get that much burn 
So he's getting all the minutes he can handle now playing behind Brunson, and he's making the most of it. So I will give him a C plus. Next, Quentin Grimes, the now backup shooting guard, 6'5". And remember, he started the season as the starter. He got the injury, so he kind of lost his job pretty much because of inconsistency. He's scoring about seven points per game, not much rebounds, not much assists. He's shooting only 39% from the field, guys, which is the obvious reason why he's now a bench player. Nearly 38% from three, 71.4 from the free throw line. And he started in 18 games, guys, but now he's been relegated to the bench. There's been rumors swirling around him not being happy about that and so forth. But Quentin, I kind of have to get on you a little bit because, you know, we saw you working out in the offseason. You was working with J.J. Reddick. And we just knew this year you were going to pop. And that didn't happen. And I know he's complaining about his role, that he's more than just a spot-up shooter and so forth. I think when the rubber meets the road, guys, I think Quentin may end up being traded. He'll probably be packaged for whoever the Knicks try and acquire. So he'll get his chance. It'll probably have to be elsewhere he'll get his chance. But I don't know what to say. He's he's had his opportunity, and he kind of squandered it away a little bit. Nonetheless, all in all, I'll give him a C. I won't give him a failing grade. I'll give him a C because he still gives you something on the defensive end and he still can knock down some threes when needed. It seems like his game is starting to get a little better as well with the absence of a quickly because it's being known that, you know, you're going to need some more scoring punch now that quickly's gone. So it seems like his scoring starting to come around a little bit, but I still give him a C, so that's my grade for him. Josh Hart. Josh Hart, our backup small forward, but he can play power forward in a pinch, given his 6'4 size. He started out the season slow, guys, and then he started to turn it on as the season progressed. Scoring over 7 points a game, giving you over 6 rebounds in nearly three assists but Josh Hart you know him he's a dog he's a guy who's gonna go in there he's gonna be the catalyst coming off the bench and that's just who he is from the field he's shooting just 44 percent from the field from three not what you want to see nearly 32 percent and over 79 percent from the free throw line but Josh Hart you know what you're getting with him He's not going to play outside of himself. And he's what this team needs, especially coming off that bench with that bench mob there. So all in all, I give Josh Hart a B. It could have been higher, but again, he had kind of the slow start in the beginning of the season. But it seems like his play now is picking up. Then I will turn my attention to Mitchell Robinson. Now, Mitchell Robinson... He is now out with that ankle. Our center 
seven feet tall. He appeared in 21 games, so he just reaches my kind of threshold. I put a threshold that, that players should at least have played half of the 41 games, so that'll put it at 20 or 21. So he reaches the threshold. His average, above six points per game, over 10 rebounds, a steal and a half, and his blocks, to me, were kind of down over a block per game. Shooting from the field, you know he's going to be efficient in that regard, given his limited opportunities, over 59%. And from the free throw line, that always leaves something to be desired. Just a shade under 37% from the free throw line, which is appalling. Mr. Robinson, you know he's the anchor for the defense. There was a lot of rumblings, guys, of him being a defensive player of the year candidate. That's how well he was playing. So to have him go down with the ankle was unfortunate. But it seems like now that the league has ruled that the Knicks won't get the disabled player exemption, it seems like he could be back later in the season, guys. It'd be nice if he could come back. Nick surely need him, that's for sure. All in all, I give Mitchell Robinson a B plus for what he gives you. On the defensive end, throw a few lobs his way and so forth. I always give you my recipe for him that you give him some lobs early and that'll keep him engaged and involved in the game. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, sorely miss, but hopefully we'll see him the latter half of the season guys so that turns my attention to the starting lineup now I'll start with a guy summons into action in Robinson's place and that's Isaiah Hartenstein now playing the starting center at seven feet tall as well he played in nearly all the games but he just got hurt recently guys has a um, an ankle sprain so, Hartenstein, here's what he has given you. Over six points per game, kind of in the same vein as Mr. Robinson. Eight and a half rebounds, two assists, over a steal per game, over a block per game. From the field, just like his guy, Robinson, nearly 61%. And from the free throw line, a far cry better than Robinson in that regard at just about 70%. And in his 16 starts, guys, he has four double-doubles. He has seven games where he pulled down 15 or more rebounds, guys. So I expect those rebound numbers to rise. And he's been what Robinson was supposed to be, provided he was healthy. And you got to remember, too, guys, Hartenstein's playing for a new contract. Will it be Mitchell Robinson big? Perhaps, but we'll see. But Hartenstein has been a godsend as far as him covering for Mitchell Robinson. With that said, I give him a A minus, guys. Reason it's not a full A. The fact that he was recently thrust into starting for this team. But he was solid coming off your bench, make no mistake about that. But he's really shown himself as a starter in this small sample size. So all in all, I give him 
A-minus guys. Let us move to Dante DiVincenzo, who had now taken over the shooting guard position, the starting shooting guard position over Quentin Grimes. Dante, he started out the season slow, but has really come on, so much so that he's now the starter in the backcourt with Jalen Brunson. And it seems those two guys really play off each other well. He's the spot-up shooter you were hoping that Quentin Grimes could be. He's been that and then some. He's been as good as advertised. Actually, better than I thought, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, he'd get some spot play here and there. But he has really risen to the occasion as the starter here. Over 11 points per game. Over three rebounds, two or so assists, and over a steal per game. And I tell you what, guys, he's been playing defense pretty well at the shooting card position as well. Guys, he has also averaged 2.6 threes per game. And he has started in 24 games, guys, as of this recording here. And his percentages, approaching near 46% from the field, 42.5 from three-point range, which you love that, and 73.5% from the free throw line. So Dante DiVincenzo, a free agent signing in the offseason that has paid dividends for this team. With that said, I give him a B plus. Reason a B plus because he did have kind of the rocky start, but he's really smoothed himself into shape here, being a solid contributor for this team. That leads us to Julius Randle, our power forward, 6'8". He's played in every game, guys. His efficiency has been better this season, over 47% from the field. Um, from three, he has suffered not even 30% from three, 77.3% from the free throw line. He's had about 18 double-doubles, guys. You can see the chemistry between him and Brunson getting better, especially this season. You know the thing with Julius Randle, he's going to give you the numbers. Right now, he's over 24 points per game, over nine rebounds, nearly five assists. So he's producing pretty much at his normal clip. It seems like for all intents and purposes, he will end up being an all-star again, barring folly. So all in all, Julius Randle, you, you got to give him an A, guys. He's been that for this team. But of course, the big question with Randle is we know what he can do in the regular season. It's the postseason where we have most of our worries about him. But I think that you're going to need to, I don't want to say load manage, but you're going to have to manage him so that when the season winds down, he isn't like worn out and beat up coming into the postseason. You need him fresh. You need him ready to go because this postseason really is going to be the test, guys. If he doesn't show up in this postseason, I think the Knicks have to take a long look in the mirror. This postseason for Julius Randle is probably as important as any in his career. Hey, listen, I hope he does show up in the postseason because if that happens, that means the Knicks are doing well. 
which means they're advancing through rounds. So, Julius Randle, all eyes on you. Come, not the regular season. We know you'll be fine there. It's the postseason where us Knicks fans really are on pins and needles as far as your production. And then last player I'll talk about, Jalen Brunson. Now, I did an episode where I talked about them in terms of the all-star voting, and then I talked about possible East reserves. I did not mention Jalen Brunson, but I fully expect him to be a reserve this year in the all-star game. I know it's going to be tough because I can rattle off all the guards, Holly Burton, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Maxey's going to have to be talked about amongst being a uh, all-star and Dame Lillard. So you got five guys there along with Brunson. How they dole it out, we'll see, but Brunson has to be an all-star this year. He just has to with what he's been doing. Guys, he's missed a couple of games. His averages over 26 points per game. Six and a half assists, nearly four rebounds, a steal per game. Shooting it from the field, guys, 47.5%. You'd like that. It's from three where I really stand up and take notice. 42.3% from three, you'd love that. And then from the free throw line, 83.2% there. He's had 16 games, guys, where he scored 30 and above. He's had three games where he scored 40 and above. And he has a 50-point game as well. Jalen Brunson, absolutely tearing it up, guys. So with that said, he gets my A-plus, guys. He's been everything the Knicks have wanted and then some. And even so much so, he's upped his average from last year. Pretty much across the board. So Jalen Brunson, the point guard the New York Knicks have sorely needed for, seems like decades, guys. He's been that good. So that's your players, guys. Now to the coach, and then we'll talk about the president of Knicks basketball. Tom Thibodeau. Right now, as of this writing, he's about... 25 and 17, fifth in the Eastern Conference. And guys, it's only like three and a half games that separate five teams. And they're all bunched together. It's Cleveland, it's Miami, Indiana, and Orlando. They're all kind of grouped together along with the Knicks. Every win against these teams. It's like doubly important because you want that tiebreaker with some of these teams. If where you both were tied, you want to have that season series under your belt in the case of a tiebreaker. But Tom Thibodeau, listen, I mean, he has them amongst the top six. You want that. Oh, and also he got his 500 win as a head coach. He did that against Memphis, by the way. He has over 500 wins now, guys. So kudos to Thibodeau for that. My issue with Thibodeau, he can burn you guys out, man. Even now with OG Ananobi, he's playing him all sorts of high minutes, 
although he was playing those kind of minutes in Toronto as well, so he's used to it. I think Tom Tibble, he has to be wiser when it comes to kind of resting guys, especially if you're blowing out a team. The quicker you can pull your guys off the floor, the better, so they can get that rest. I don't want to suggest load management, but if you know a guy has a nagging injury, I don't see any harm in sitting a guy if he has kind of a nagging injury. Like Jalen Brunson, he sat a couple of games because of that. Uh, Randall, you know he's going to be nicked up at some point. So you want to be very careful with how you handle these guys and so forth. That's my only issue with Thibodeau. Other than that, he has his team going in the right direction. That's all you can ask for from your coach. With all of that said, I got to give him a B plus for having them right now fifth in the conference. But of course, there's room for rising up the charts as well. But B plus is what I'm giving Tom Thibodeau. Then that leads me to the final person I'll grade is Leon Rose, who in the offseason signed Dante DiVincenzo. I mentioned that. He also traded Obi Toppin in the offseason. Got back second rounders. Not what you want to see if we're talking a lottery pick type player and that's what you got in return. And then, of course, the trade for OG Anunobi in which you had to relinquish R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. There was no path to him getting starter minutes, unfortunately. He now has an opportunity in Toronto to do that. And I definitely wish the kid well in that regard. And R.J. Barrett, who was, again, called on to be the third option in this offense. And, you know, he gave you offense 18 points per game. But it was just the inconsistency, the highs, the lows that you got with him that I guess Leon Rose said, you know what, I think we need to make this move. They brought in OG Anunobi along with Precious Achua and Malachi Flynn. And now RJ is now in the city where he made his bones, and that's Toronto. So fresh starts for Barrett and Quickly. I wish those guys well. And we'll see with the OG Anunobi. We'll see what happens with him. So far, so good, guys. He's been great for this team thus far. His ability to cover one through five has really helped this team a lot. And with that said, does Leon have another trade up his sleeve come the trade deadline? Who knows? Or even before? Who knows? But... On its surface, guys, I'll give him an A- because of the way the Knicks are playing now. The way the free agent signing of DiVincenzo has really paid dividends thus far. Yeah, so I'm giving him an A-, guys. All right? So that is my grade for the Knicks in that regard. So let's keep rolling along. All right, so we've done that. We did the Knicks report card. Now I want to do mid-season awards. Run through those right quick. We'll start with MVP first. Right now, Joel Embiid, your reigning MVP, having a fantastic season, guys. Absolutely fantastic. 36 points per game, over 11 rebounds, nearly 6 assists, 
nearly two blocks per game over a steal per game. Shooting at nearly 54% from the field, which you like. 36.3 from three-point range. You know he can like some pull up from there. And 88.7% from the free throw line. He has had two triple doubles and 23 double doubles thus far, guys. My only caveat is he's played in 31 games. So if he has another 40 or so games to go, that means he really can't miss a lot of time. Because remember, you got to reach that 65 game window. So he doesn't have a lot of room for missing games. So I'll be interested to see how many games he sits, how many games he plays. So bear that in mind because if he slits below the 65 game threshold, that opens the door for others to sneak into the conversation. So with that said, we'll talk about the multiple time MVP, Nikolai Jokic. He's played in... About 44 games as of now. Over 26 points per game for him. 12 rebounds. 9 assists. Block per game. Over a steal per game. He's shooting at 59% from the field guys. So you know he's Mr. Efficient there. From 3 point range. No. 36.2%. And then 82.5% from the free throw line. He's leading the league in triple-doubles with 13. He has 25 double-doubles, guys. So, Nikolai Jokic, the Joker doing Joker things, always going to be a legit MVP candidate, so you can never leave his name out. Shy Gilkis Alexander. Guys, you heard me singing his praises all season long. Only missed a couple of games, guys. He's been available. That's been really a great help to that. Oklahoma City team over there over 31 points per game above six assists about five and a half rebounds and he's leading the league in steals guys at 2.3 so you like that very efficient from the field for a guard like him 54.5 percent from the field Three-point shooting still leaves a lot to be desired, just under 32. 88.7% from the free throw line, so he's pretty much automatic there. He has five double-doubles on the season, guys. And most importantly, his team is looking very good right now. So, Shai Gilkis Alexander, a worthy person in the MVP conversation. So, I'll be interested to see the latter part of the season how his team progresses, and how he plays along with that. So that will be most important in this MVP race. All right, so that's your MVP. Let's talk about six man of the year. Now, two guys you eliminate from this conversation who were actually front runners last season. Emmanuel Quickly, who's now a starter in Toronto, so he will no longer be in the six-man conversation and then Malcolm Brogdon, who's actually a starter now for Portland over there. With all those young players over there, they figure, let's have a veteran presence in the starting lineup. So, Brogdon is not in the mix as far as six man of the year. So, where does that leave us, guys? How about a guy like Karis LeVert for the Cleveland Cavaliers? 
He's only started in one game. He's appeared in 31, averaging 16 points per game, over four assists, three and a half rebounds, and a steal per game. He's shooting at 42.3% from the field, 34.7 from three, and 74.3% from free throw line. Kyrus Levert on a team that is playing well. They're amongst the top six in the East. And he's been a solid contributor, especially given the fact that Cleveland has been dealing with injuries all season long with Darius Garland, with Evan Mobley. So a guy like Levert has really helped him in that regard. Definitely, this could be a year where Karis Levert could sneak and get it. Also, Jordan Clarkson of the Utah Jazz. He has started in 19 games, guys, so we'll have to pay attention closely because it seems like now they're bringing him off the bench. You have to watch it closely, the fact that, actually two facts, whether he comes off the bench or not, and the other caveat is if he gets traded. There's been a lot of rumblings about him possibly being moved, so both of those two things could affect his candidacy for Sixth man of the year. But he's averaging coming off the bench or starting over 18 points per game, five assists, and 3.7 rebounds. Shooting it over 42% from the field, only 31.3 from three point range, and nearly automatic at 88.7% from the charity stripe. So Jordan Clarkson, a worthy candidate. So we'll see. And then Bobby Portis, a guy who was in the running last year, I think could be in the running this year. He hasn't started any games for the Milwaukee Bucks. He's been strictly coming off the bench. He's appeared in just about every game, 12.3 points per game, 6.7 rebounds. I think he's a guy you could see making a major move in the latter half of the season. For the Milwaukee Bucks, especially as they start to low manage those guys over there, guys like Giannis, guys like Middleton, possibly even Lopez. So I really see Portis taking on a major role going down the stretch. So that could definitely enhance his chances at sixth man of the year. Shooting it over 50% from the field, 36.6% from three. And over 77% from the free throw line. So Bobby Portis, another name to keep in mind in the sixth man of the year race there. But I would say right now, the leader in the clubhouse is probably Karis LeVert, if I were to take a guess. Let us move on to defensive player of the year. And I have three guys here. Let's start with Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers. Right now, he's averaging nine defensive rebounds, 2.4 blocks amongst the top shot blockers in the league, and above a steal per game. Also, guys, if you're into the advanced stats, he's second in defensive win shares and eighth in defensive rating. Anthony Davis, this could be the year where he puts it all together, guys. He's definitely somebody who needs to be in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. Another guy, 
Rudy Gobert for the Minnesota Timberwolves has nine defensive rebounds per game, over two blocks per game for him. But get this, guys. He's number one in defensive win shares, and he also is number one in defensive ratings. Rudy Gobert looks like he has bounced back from that first season he had with the Timberwolves. Seemed like he's bounced back now. Definitely showing that with the advanced stats and with, with the regular stats as well. So Rudy Gobert, definitely a worthy candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. And how's this? Joel Embiid. He's a guy who could get in the conversation. Nearly nine defensive rebounds per game. Nearly a two blocks per game. And over a steal per game. He's 10th in defensive win shares, but 2nd in defensive rating. So, Joel Embiid, not a name you automatically think when it comes to defense, but quietly he's been a defensive presence, especially for that Philadelphia team. So, I think it's out of these three guys here. I don't see Jared Jackson defending his crown. I don't see that, not with the presence of these guys. So, And to me, the leader in the clubhouse here, I'm actually going to say Rudy Gobert. I think he could end up getting it, although there'll be a loud groundswell for Davis if he plays the amount of games where he qualifies. So I think it could be a two-horse race, although Embiid deserves to be in the discussion, but I think it's probably between those two guys there. Coach of the Year. Now this one, I've heard a myriad of names, but I'll give you the three names I think should be considered. Mark Dagnall, I've mentioned the Oklahoma City Thunder. Right now, they're on top of the Western Conference. They have six-game win streaks and five-game win streaks. They are third in points scored amongst the teams as well. So Mark Dagnall has this team playing above their skis, guys. Definitely a coach who I thought deserved consideration last season. But nobody was getting it above Mike Brown. Forget about it. But this season, he is really has this team going in high gear. So Mark Dagnall, I think, is a very worthy Coach of the Year candidate. Next one, Chris Finch for the Minnesota Timberwolves. They've been a surprise team, guys. Also tied with Oklahoma City Thunder. Finch has been November's Coach of the Month. And his team has a seven-game win streak and a six-game win streak in their arsenal thus far. And right now, they're third in three-point percentage amongst all the teams. So, Chris Finch has these guys playing well and top of that Western Conference over there. And then the last person I'll mention, Joe Mazzula, guys, for the Boston Celtics. His team is the top team in the entire NBA. He was coach of the month in the East for the month of December. And he has eight game win streaks, two six game win streaks, and a five game win streak this season thus far. His team is fourth in scoring, but first in total rebounds. So Joe Mazzula, a guy who I thought could have got some consideration last season, but again, Nobody was beating out Mike Brown, but 
hey, he has his team on top again. And uh, I think he deserves some recognition for that. I could go either way. It was any of these guys. When the dust settles, I wouldn't have too much of an argument. But I think Dagno is probably the leader in the clubhouse because of his team overachieving the way that they are. So I would say Dagno first. All right, guys. A couple more categories, and then I want to get to the news item I have real quick. Rookie of the year, guys, I think it's just a two-horse race. I don't see anybody other than these two guys. Of course, the obvious one, Victor Wimbayama, who's having a fantastic rookie season. 37 games played, over 20 points per game, 10 rebounds, nearly three assists. He's leading the league in blocks, guys, with 3.2 blocks and over a steal per game. Shooting it from the field, 46.4%. I think that number could be better if he had better guard play, especially point guard play. The three-point shooting, I think he needs to cut down on that. He's not even at 30%. He's just shy of it. And 80.7% from the free throw line. Victor Wimbayama, as good as advertised. Team record, not so great, but he's doing his thing, guys. It's no fault of his own, that's for sure. And then the second candidate, Chet Holmgren, who actually sat out his rookie season. So this is being considered his rookie season. But he's playing well, guys. He's appeared in 43 games thus far. Hasn't really missed much games here. Over 17 points per game for him. Over 7 rebounds. 2.6 blocks for him. So he's up there amongst the league leaders. And nearly 3 assists per game. Shooting it over 54%. So you'd like that. 38.2% from 3 point range. Good there as well. And 78.8% from the free throw line. So you have both these guys here as candidates, guys. I think the groundswell will probably go more towards Victor, but Chet, you got to give him credit for what he's doing. And with a team that's playing very well, he's an important piece to that team. Be interested to see how that race shapes up as the season goes on. Most improved player. This is the area where, you know, it gets kind of tricky, but I'm going to give you the candidates. Desmond Bain for the Memphis Grizzlies, who has really stepped up in the absence of John Moran in the beginning of the season. But now he's out. He's going to be out for like four to six weeks. So will that have an effect on him in the most improved player race? Could. But nonetheless, he appeared in 37 games, 24.4 points per game. He's up three points, actually, from his Average last season, 4.6 rebounds, well over five assists per game, a steal per game as well. Shooting at 47.4% from the field, 38.3% from three-point line, and 86.4% from free throw line. So Desmond Bain, a guy who you can make a case for most improved player. Tyrese Maxey played in 41 games, averaging nearly 26 points per game, guys. He's up five points from his 
average last season. 6.7 assists, so he's up in that regard as well. 3.7 rebounds and a steal per game. Shooting it nearly 45% from the field. Nearly 38% from three. And 86% from the free throw line. Tyrese Maxey stepping in where they needed him with the course subsequent trade of James Harden over to the Clippers. So Tyrese Maxey stepping in and playing well, guys. Playing all-star caliber basketball. He's playing that, guys. And then here's a name that I think needs to be included. If you want to base it on how you based it last year, where you had the guys who were all-star caliber guys in Laurie Markkinen. You had SGA, Shy Gilkis, Alexander as well. So if you're basing it that way, guys, you have to include this player in the mix for most improved player. And that player is Jalen Brunson for the New York Knicks. I gave you his stats when I talked about the midseason report card for the Knicks. But he is a player who has improved. His scoring went up actually nearly three points higher than it was last year. He's a guy who could very well be included in the All-Star game. I think he has a case for most improved player. We'll see how it shakes out. But based on the criteria of last year, Jalen Brunson deserves to be in this conversation for most improved player. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right, and then executive of the year, Sam Presti of the Oklahoma City Thunder. You can make a case for him with all his draft choices panning out in the way they're playing this year. So you can make a case for him. Brad Stevens for the Boston Celtics. He made the trade for Porzingis. Also made the trade for Drew Holiday. Team's playing fantastic. So Brad Stevens definitely... I think probably a leader in the clubhouse. And then Leon Rose of the New York Knicks. You, you have to include him. I told you the offseason moves he made. The in-season trade for Ojiano Nobi. And he may have a, another trade coming down the pike. So definitely belongs in this conversation. So those are my three guys for executive of the year. But like I said, Brad Steven. Probably the one who stands out as the leader in the clubhouse here. So, all right, guys. So, that's the midseason awards. And then, quickly, I want to talk about women's college basketball. Number two, Iowa falls to number 18, Ohio State. And that happened in Ohio State. And that game went to overtime, but Ohio State wins it 192. Ohio State rallies in the fourth quarter to send that game into overtime where Iowa got outscored 17-9 to in the overtime. Caitlin Clark, uh, everybody's been singing her praises. She's having a fantastic year again. Reigning National Player of the Year. She'll get it again. She's leading women's basketball in scoring at 31 points per game. She's second in assists with 7.7 assists. In that game that she lost, she scored 45 points, guys, with seven assists, three rebounds, two steals. And for the winners there, Ohio State, Cody McMahon, she had 33 points along with 12 rebounds and two blocks. But the big story in that game 
Ohio State fans. They stormed the court after the win over Iowa as Ohio State knocks off the number two team in the country. So the fans stormed the court. So much so, one fan collides with Caitlin Clark and knocks her to the ground. She's a little winded and, you know, they have to help her off the court and so forth. So I just want to talk about fans storming the court. I think it's the most ridiculous thing in sports. The fact of when your team wins, you rush the court and go down on the court. I think it's dangerous for the players. I think it's dangerous for the coaches. I think it's dangerous for even the fans themselves. I just don't get it. I really don't. That's one of the things I never understood about sports as a whole. In baseball, they rush the field. Well, they try to, but security has put that on lock. In pro basketball, they don't do that like they used to. I never understood the premise behind that. It, it just bothers me. Some people are saying, oh, Caitlin Clark, she kind of flopped when the lady hit her or whatever. I'm not going to say one way or the other, but it seems like it was a pretty significant blow she took from the way I saw it. Some people say, oh, Caitlin ran into her and it was the other way around. I'm like, nah, I'm not even going to go there with that, but I think it's dangerous. This is the reason why this sort of thing can happen. Something serious could have happened to that young lady where she tore up a knee or twist her ankle or whatever, so... I just, I can't get into that storm in the court stuff. So, thankfully, she's all right. She's fine. She just said that it was a scary moment because she was trying to get off the court. Of course, the Iowa coach, Lisa Boulder, she didn't like it one bit. Of course, you know, she don't want to see her star player get hurt over something like that. So, and I'm with them in that corner. You know, why get hurt over something so ridiculous as somebody storming the court so all right so i'm gonna leave it there guys all right so i thank you for listening as always much appreciated guys i'll come back with the recap i'll do all that and other goodies along the way so all right so i thank you for listening as always and we'll talk soon take care hello my peeps Thank you for listening and supporting the All Things Basketball with GD podcast. You can find us on our website, allthingsbasketballwithgd.com. You can also email us at thatsportsdugd at gmail.com. Also listen and watch us on YouTube, All Things Basketball GD. Hit the like button when you see our videos. Also write a blurb about our show. You can listen to us on all podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple. Leave a review for us at Apple. On the website, you can support us by hitting the Buy Me a Coffee button, support on Anchor button, or donate on PayPal. You can also support us by our cash app, GD That Sports Dude. Once again, I thank you for listening and supporting the show, and do take care.